into church today, I was carrying a handful of craft supplies because the kids are making angels downstairs. And one of the guys at the door was like, is that for your sermon? So if you look under your chair, I'm just kidding. A whole room of you making angels while I talk. That's not going to happen. So, well, amazingly, one week from today is going to be December 24th, Christmas Eve, when we gather again. And so as I was praying through Uh, just the message to share today. We've been in Matthew. We've been in Matthew chapter 10. And so instead of continuing in Matthew chapter 10, I just really felt the Lord leading a message that is really in uh, the Advent Christmas story. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 today. And and my heart in this sermon, you know, as, as we you know, go through the Advent season as Christmas gets closer. Every single one of us, we, we get busy with family gatherings. We get busy with, you know, decorating our homes and the traditions that we have. Um, there's lots of things that can, can fight for our time, uh, going out and buying gifts, whatever it is. And so there's a longing in each of our hearts for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior for this to kind of capture a moment of this season and really draw close to Him. And that's the heart of, of my prayer today is that the sermon would allow us, including my, myself, to do that. Um, and so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. And I will read God's word for us and then pray for the Lord to guide us in our time together today. So Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, as we look forward to this last week of Advent in celebrating the initial arrival of your son, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just allow us to be in awe of your incredible plan of salvation. Lord, as we see it in your word, Old Testament to New Testament, your promises fulfilled. Lord, be in the proclamation of your word today. Lord, let my words be what your people need to hear. Let your words be what my heart needs to hear. And Lord, we pray that all of it would glorify Jesus. Help us to live it out in the power of your Holy Spirit today. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, as we go through this passage, I'm going to take a pretty direct focus on one of the most amazing parts and one of the most hardest parts to understand, and and that's the Isaiah 7.14 prophecy about the virgin birth. As we go through this, it's amazing how much richness is in it, 
But again, like I said, how difficult it can be to understand when you read it in its original context in, in Isaiah. And so, so why am I kind of going down this road today? Well, the why behind it is that when you really read this account in Scripture and you really see God's heart behind this prophecy, it is an anchoring point for the doctrine of the Incarnation. It is an anchoring point for that doctrine of Jesus Christ coming into the world, completely God and completely man at the same time. It, it anchors us into that. It builds our faith in that. So that's why we're going to go through that. I'm going to mention a little bit about that. And then I'm going to look into some ways we, we understand it. We understand this prophecy from Isaiah 7:14. We're going to see kind of three things from that. We're going to see a small but really powerful detail that the Holy Spirit reveals to Matthew. And then we're going to see really the heart of the prophecy, the heart of the prophecy. That's going to take like a chunk of our time. And then finally explain how it was fulfilled back in the time of Isaiah. And of course, we know how it's fulfilled today through Jesus Christ, God's son who came into the world. And then finally, as we, up, as we wrap up, like what is our response to that? Because this can be kind of a lot of intellectual stuff, but I really want to make sure that we know how to respond to this incredible, incredible gift in God's word that we have, this, this plan of salvation that's revealed to us. So that's my prayer that in all of this, that it would give each of us, myself included, just things to reflect on and think about and really draw closer to Jesus in, in this week ahead. So the first thing that we're going to look at is why. Why, why really jump into this on a Sunday morning sermon? Well, like I told you, the, I don't want you to look at this section of text as just a part of the Christmas story. I think that's how I look at it all the time. It's like, okay, it's time to read the Christmas story. This is a part of the Christmas story, and we put the pieces together and read the whole thing. It is a part of this, the, the Christmas story, but I want you to see it as way more than that. I want you to see this text as an anchoring point of the doctrine of the incarnation. It is an anchoring point for our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and completely man. It is an anchoring point for that in our lives. And when you think about that anchoring point, um, what that anchoring point is like is if you've ever seen a suspension bridge, a suspension bridge, you're going to see a picture on a screen of something that's a part of that bridge. Now, a suspension bridge has those big towers, and they have the cables that go across the towers, and those big cables really hold everything together on that bridge and bear the load of the bridge. Well, those, those cables need to be anchored into something, and that's the picture that you're seeing on the screen there, is the anchoring point of where the cables on a suspension bridge get their strength from. And that's what I want you to picture when you read this account in Scripture, that this is an anchoring point of the doctrine of the incarnation. That's what it is to us. It's not just a piece of the Christmas story, as great as that is. It is an anchoring point of the doctrine of the incarnation. And so how do we see that? How do we see this anchoring point come out? Well, Matthew, coming from the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, um, he sets us up and he begins in chapter 1, 1 through uh, 17, he begins talking about the human lineage of Jesus. He goes through Jesus' genealogy, his family tree is another way to put it, and, and we see that this genealogy or in this family tree that Jesus fulfills the promises made by God in the Old Testament to be the Messiah coming through the human line of Abraham and of David. That's what he does in the first 17 verses. And then he transitions. In the sec second section of Scripture, the one that we just read in 18 to 25, Matthew transitions and he shows the divine origin of Jesus. He shows the divine origin of Jesus. And he does this, if you may remember way back when Todd started 
the sermon series on Matthew, Todd, Todd brought up this pattern that we see this transition of Matthew doing this. And, and he does that by ending the pattern in the family tree of talking about the fathers when he gets to Joseph. You remember that? In Matthew 1.16, it'll come up on the screen. You'll see where that pattern ends. And this is where he transitions into talking about the divinity of Jesus. Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, that's the last one regarding Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Joseph is not the father of Jesus. And so it leaves us as a reader saying, well, Matthew, how is that possible? How, how, is, how is Joseph not the father of Jesus? And Matthew's like, let me tell you. I'm going to show you exactly how Joseph, nor any other person, is the father of Jesus. He does that three times in this next section of Scripture that we read today. He shows three times that Jesus is not the biological son of any human being, that he is the son of God. Look how he does it. He does it two times directly. He does it in Matthew, and all three will come up on the screen. Matthew 1.18 says, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And then he says again in Matthew 1.20, recounting the words of the angel to Joseph, he says, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then finally, again, indirectly, in 1.25, speaking of Joseph, he says that he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So, you, you take these two together. You take the first section of the family tree, you take the second section of Jesus' divine origin, and you bring it together, and you get the incarnation. That's why this section of Scripture is such an anchoring point of the doctrine of incarnation. This is huge for us in our faith. It's like, if you've ever seen or heard the, the phrase, like, it's a domino effect? You know, the, if you say that something is a domino effect, what you're talking about, right, is a chain reaction of things that all affect each other. You know, and, and it's illustrated literally by lining up dominoes. You've all seen it. Dominoes are all lined up. People do all kinds of crazy competitions with them. And then you tap the first one, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. They, they all fall down, right? So if you compromise the doctrine of the incarnation, it creates a domino effect in all different aspects of your faith. The, in domino terms, the understanding of Jesus being God's son is the first one in line. If you knock that one down, then his perfect sacrifice for our sin goes down. His resurrection goes down. His return goes down. His teaching goes down. You see how important it is to be grounded in your understanding of the incarnation. That's why we're going through this today. It gets a little technical at certain points, and you got to kind of hang in there, but it's so important and grounding to our faith. It's an anchoring point, anchoring point. That's why we're going through it. And it hinges on that prophecy, that prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A good understanding of Isaiah 7:14 and the virgin birth strengthens our faith in the incarnation. It's that anchoring point. So we're going to go through three things of understanding it. Three things. I'm going to try to hit them pretty quick. One in the middle is kind of long. So here we go. The first one is that when we go through the section of Scripture, we see that there is a small but powerful detail that God reveals to Matthew. 
The first one is there's a small and powerful detail that God reveals to Matthew. As we look at this section of Scripture, we see the angel communicates some very important things to, to, to Joseph in his dream. The angel says that, number one, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Number two, his name is Jesus. Number three, he'll save his people from his sins. But that's what he tells to Joseph. It's very important where you notice where the quotation marks end in Matthew chapter 1, 21 through 23, because this prophecy from Isaiah, the Lord reveals that to Matthew as he's writing it. Matthew isn't taking this information about Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 7, 14 and passing it along as what he heard from the, from the angel. The Lord is revealing this directly to Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. This is the angel speaking. Notice where the quotation ends. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. End quotation. This is Matthew's words. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is huge. This is huge. What you see here is the combination of the angelic proclamation, right? The angel is is proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And then you see it validated by the Old Testament prophecy, but it's done externally by Matthew through the power of the Holy Spirit inspiring him to write. That's amazing to me that we see all of those coming together. That the Lord, as Matthew is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, the Lord reveals to Matthew, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that I spoke through Isaiah long ago. That's amazing to me. That detail is huge. And as we continue on, to me, the amazement doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because we, we get into now really trying to understand the heart of the prophecy. What is the heart of the prophecy? So this is where it kind of, it, it can get tough, Right? So, in, in Isaiah, what, what, are, what is the heart of this prophecy all about? For the longest time, I always knew that that prophecy was there. I heard it during Christmas as we read the, the account and the text. But, you know, I had no problem trusting it. But I, as I went back to Isaiah, and you may have done this as well, as you read Isaiah chapter 7 and you get into it, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand how is that fulfilled during I, Isaiah's time. And when you do some reading on it and you look at commentators, they, they make the statement that it's, well, it's fulfilled twice. It's dually fulfilled. It's, it's fulfilled in the time of Isaiah, and then it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And that's helpful, but it doesn't explain to me, like, well, what, what is going on? How do I understand the meaning of it there for Isaiah? And, and that's what I want us to get into now, is how do we understand the heart of this prophecy? So it, it is confusing because after, after Isaiah gives it, he starts talking about the child that he's speaking of eating honey and curds and then kings being destroyed. Let me show you, it, it, and then we're going to work through what it means. So Isaiah chapter 7, 10 through 17, here it is. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he, this is Isaiah responding to Ahaz, said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And then here's the prophecy, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey 
when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good? He continues, for before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, and the land, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. That's hard to understand. We're talking about a child that we know is Jesus in the New Testament, but then he's talking about that child essentially kind of like eating honey nut Cheerios, right? What's going on there? And then kings being destroyed. How do we understand this? Well, 2 Kings chapter 16. Jot that down. You can go back and read the details of it. I'm going to share with you some of them. 2 Kings chapter 16 is huge. It overlaps with this chapter in Isaiah. It tells us two things. It tells us about this king that he's speaking it to, and it tells us about what's going on. And as we understand that, we, we unfold this incredible depth to this prophecy that proclaims the truth of our Messiah and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who comes. An incredible deeper truth to this, this uh, prophecy. So, what do we know about this king, Ahaz? What do we know about him? So, this is during the time when the nation of Israel is split in half. There's a northern kingdom, Israel, a southern kingdom, Judah. Ahaz is a king of Judah. He is a wicked king. The guy wants nothing to do with the Lord. He is evil, and that's important. Because when we read that prophecy account, we read Ahaz's response to Isaiah, and he says, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. And when you read that, not knowing his background, you think, well, he's a pretty humble guy. He's not going to put the Lord to the test. He's, he doesn't want to ask something of the Lord. But that's not what it, the intent of his heart is. This guy is an evil, wicked king who is responding sarcastically to the, the man of God who is coming before him to bring a message. How do we know that? 2 Kings 16, chapter 2 through 4. It'll come up on the screen. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Listen to this. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Ahaz was not responding to Isaiah with a humble heart that wanted to please the Lord. He was a wicked king. That's a huge piece of information to know in understanding the heart of this prophecy. Second, what's the situation? What is the situation that's going on regarding Isaiah and this wicked king? Well, basically what's going on is there are two countries that are teaming up to come and take out Judah. It's Israel and Syria. They've teamed up against him. And Ahaz, instead of going to the Lord, decides to handle it in his own strength. He goes to handle it in his own strength. Second Kings again clues us in on this. Second Kings 16, 7 and 8. It says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant, your son. Come and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took silver and gold that was found where? In the house of the Lord, in the treasures of the king's house, and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So, wicked king says, I'm going to get attacked. 
I'm going to go pay off another army to help me defeat these guys. He's not turning to the Lord. And that's what Isaiah is going to him and challenging him to do. What an expression of God's grace. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2 says this. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. And God in his grace sends Isaiah to him and says, trust me. Trust the Lord. This is an opportunity for you, Ahaz, to trust in the Lord. But what does the wicked king do? He says, now, I'm good. I'm going to go to Assyria. I'm going to let the Assyrians help me out. I'm not going to turn to the Lord. And then Isaiah gives him a warning. I mean, incredible expression of God's grace. This wicked king, Isaiah says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, Ahaz. Isaiah 7, 9, the last part of the verse Isaiah says, kind of a warning to him, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Maybe that the Lord is speaking that to some of us today. If you are not firm in faith, push it to the New Testament, if you are not firm in faith in Jesus Christ, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz turned away from that grace. But the Lord is so zealous about his faithfulness to his promises that he tells Ahaz to ask for a sign. Ahaz isn't asking for it, but the Lord is so zealous. The Lord is going to preserve the house of David. He promised he would. He's like, Ahaz, it is not going to be through your scheme. It's not going to be through your strength. I'm going to do it a different way. Ahaz, it's about my presence with you. That's what preserves my promises. And so... Ahaz, he responds with his sarcastic response in Isaiah 7.12, but Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And this is where the words of the prophecy in 7.14 come in. And behind these words is a reminder to Ahaz about the principle that God wants us to embed in our hearts. It is the presence of the Lord with us that preserves his promises, not human strength. It's the Lord's presence with us. That's how we get through the challenges and the fears and the difficulties of life. It is the Lord's presence with us. It is his presence, not human strength, that preserves his promises. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What do we know that Emmanuel means? God with us. God with us. That's how God's promises are fulfilled. That's how we journey through this life. God with us. Isaiah's going to him and holding it out. Ahaz turns away from it. Turns away from it. So That's the challenge for us today. Are you in the room today? Are you turning away from the grace that God is holding out? Emmanuel, God with us. Now, how is that prophecy fulfilled? How is it fulfilled in the time of Isaiah? So there's two ways the prophecy is fulfilled. You're more familiar with the the second one. The first one, in the immediate context, Ahaz is given a sign of what he rejected. What did he reject? God with us. That's what he was rejecting. So God says, I'm going to give you a sign. 
so you can see what the consequences are, and I'm going to give you a timeline of it, of what you rejected. You rejected me. You rejected my presence. And so God builds that into the sign that he gives to Ahaz. He rejects God with us, and God shows him the consequences and the timeline that comes with it. The future fulfillment, that's what we know. The future fulfillment is a sign of what will literally come. What literally comes is God with us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me show you those details of the immediate fulfillment in the time of Isaiah. What do we see happening in the, in the immediate context of, of Ahaz and Isaiah is that God is establishing a timeline to show Ahaz that his human manufactured plans are going to fall apart. The line of David will be preserved and it will be done by God, not by Ahaz, because Ahaz rejected putting his faith in the Lord. God's sign to Ahaz is a timeline regarding the birth in Ahaz's time of a normal child between a man and a woman. God is telling Ahaz that through Isaiah, is telling Ahaz that through, through Isaiah that a woman who is likely in the court of Ahaz will become pregnant and have a son, and that son will be named Emmanuel. It should be understood that This woman was a virgin at the time of the prophecy being made by Isaiah. This begins the timeline. This does not mean that she stays a virgin and has a virgin birth. That's the fulfillment in the time of Isaiah and Ahaz. This woman, within a certain time, will have a child and with a man, and that child will be named Emmanuel. Isaiah then prophesies that specific milestones in the life of that child will line up with the downfall related to the decisions that he made. Look at Isaiah 7, 15 through 17 again. He, referring to the child, shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. The Lord is telling Ahaz that your plan of human strength is short-lived. When this child, Emmanuel, again, that was born from a man and a woman during Ahaz and Isaiah's time, When this child becomes about two or three years old, when he's able to eat solid food, curds and honey, when he's able to know right from wrong between two and three years old, during that time, Ahaz, your plans are going to fall apart. You may have temporary success in your own strength, but then it's all going down. He says that even Ahaz, the empire that you reached out to to try to get your help from is going to be the very empire that takes it out. God is giving Ahaz a reminder and a timeline in the name of the child born for the consequences of the very thing that he rejected. What did he reject? God with us. Emmanuel. That's what he rejected. And then the future fulfillment. The future fulfillment is what we all know. The future fulfillment is what we already saw. That was assigned by Matthew, that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew and said, Matthew, as you heard that account of the angel to Joseph, the Holy Spirit's like, Matthew, Isaiah 7.14. 
That prophecy that I spoke to wicked King Ahaz, if you thought it was amazing how I preserved the line of David through that timeline sign to Ahaz, how much more are you going to be amazed, Matthew, when you share with the whole world that it's literally being fulfilled, God with us right now. Jesus Christ is God's son. He is literally here. A virgin will literally give birth to a son and this son will literally be me with you, Matthew. That's what he's telling to Matthew. And that's why Matthew writes it down. An amazing expression of that prophecy fulfilled in its completion. It's amazing. As, as I was reading that and studying that, it just took me back in awe of how incredible God's plan of salvation is. And how he uses things in the past and the timeline to project his incredible fulfillment of his promises of salvation to us in his son, Jesus. So our response, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the reality of God with us? We go back to the account of Matthew where we started for these. And there's two th quick things I want to share with you on how we respond to this, because that could be a lot of head knowledge. How do we live this out? Number one is we need to trust the Lord with all of our fears. We need to trust the Lord with all of our fears. Regarding fear, look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20 says this, But as, this is Joseph, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. This isn't a do not fear the presence of this angelic being in your dream. This is a do not fear your situation that you're in. And how many of us need to hear those words right now? Do not fear the situation that you're in. Why? Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you. If you know and love Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to face situations in life that are going to bring fear into your life. But you know the promise here, Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph got it literally, literally God with him and was raising him in a household. We see it, the promise in our lives, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, our Savior by faith. He is with you in whatever situation that you're facing. And remember, fear is what this whole context came out of with this prophecy. Remember Isaiah 7-2? It said, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees in the forest shake before the wind. They were afraid. And what does God do in their fear is he reaches out to them. Isaiah 7-4, leading up to the promise. You know what Isaiah says to him? Be careful, be quiet, and do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, offers us. But there's the warning that comes with it to the Ahazes in the room that want to turn away from it. Isaiah 7, 9, the last part of the verse. If you're not firm in faith, New Testament version, in Jesus, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz chose acting on his own strength. Brothers and sisters in Christ, follow the example of Joseph in whatever you're fearing today. Follow the example of Joseph. Is it in a relationship that needs to be healed? Follow the example of Joseph. A conversation you need to have? Is it confessing something you constantly struggle with and getting help? Follow the example of Joseph. Is it asking someone to forgive you or taking the first steps to forgive another? Is it a direction that the Lord is leading you in? Follow the example of Joseph. Emmanuel, 
God with us. Don't turn away from Him. Don't pursue things in your own strength. Or maybe it's a situation that doesn't make sense, or it's hard, or it's overwhelming. I'm speaking this to myself as well. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with me. God is with you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, ask the Lord for faith like Joseph. Matthew 1.24, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Ask for that kind of faith. Don't ignore the Lord. Don't act on your own strength. Don't let your fear push you away from him. That's the first thing. Surrender all of your fears to the Lord. And then the second thing that we need to remember is that we need to know, those of you who follow Jesus who love him as Savior, you can know with great assurance that your sins are forgiven. You can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. Emmanuel, God with us, has provided the way for us to be saved. Saved from what? Our Ahaz heart. Our Ahaz heart that wants to turn away and do wicked things and tackle the world in our own strength. We all have an Ahaz heart. We were born with it. Naturally, we want to put ourselves above God and others. The Lord in his word says to love me first with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then, soul, and then love others as yourself. But we can't do that because we have an Ahaz heart. Emmanuel, God with us, is the only thing possible to break the grip of the Ahaz heart in our life. Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus or he will save his people from their sins. Not maybe save, will save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what Emmanuel, God with us, did. He grew up, he taught the ways of the Lord, he lived a perfect life, and then he willingly sacrificed himself on the cross. If you have faith in Jesus in Emmanuel, God with us, as your Savior, you can be assured that all of your sin, past, present, and future, is paid for. The angel said he will save, and he proved it because there was another angel sitting on top of a stone that was rolled away from a tomb after three days that was empty. Jesus rose again from the grave. You can know if you're here today as a brother and sister in Christ, if you're struggling with knowing if a certain sin in your life is forgiven, and if you've confessed it to the Lord, if you've repented and turned away from it, you can know because of Emmanuel, God with us, that you are forgiven, period. Emmanuel, God with us. But if you're here today, and maybe you're just not sure, maybe you're uncertain if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, or maybe you're like Ahaz and you're just like, whatever, I'm going to go my direction. I'll go to church every once in a while, but the full surrender to Jesus, you need to remember the consequence of the timeline. Because there's a second timeline that is in effect. There's a second timeline that's in play. And that second timeline is that this Emmanuel, God with us, will be with us once again. That, that Emmanuel, God with us, who came the first time, he promised to come back a second time. And that timeline is currently in play. That timeline, we are all in. And if you haven't trusted him as your Savior, 
if you don't know him as your Lord, if you're trying to accomplish your life through your own works and feel like you're good, you don't have Emmanuel, God, with you. You're still paying the price for your sins. You're still paying the price for your disobedience to the Lord. You need Emmanuel, God, with us to have a relationship with God and to have the assurance of your sins being forgiven. And I encourage you, if you're here today and you're just not sure or if you're just turning away from him, consider that. Consider today being the day that you surrender to the Emmanuel, God with us. Because without him, there is no assurance of forgiveness. There is no assurance of a relationship with God. There is no eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. Lord, thank you so much for your word that tells about the coming of your son. Lord, we read it every year in our church services. We read it in our gatherings. But Lord, I pray just that the depth of the heart of what you offer to us by your grace would be seen and experienced in your word today. Lord, as we go through this next week and as we are involved with activities, Lord, let us slow down and be reminded about the power of God with us, that your promises are fulfilled by your presence in our lives, not by our own strength. Lord, your presence in our life is vital Lord, we can't go one day without Emmanuel, God, with us. Lord, give us a renewed anticipation for you coming again. And Lord, give us a passion to experience you, Emmanuel, Jesus, God, with us each day. Lord, we love you. We pray that you are glorified. We thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.